I'm super dad. I could do that. Dads can do that. I can't. So I was like, all right. So I swim in the pool. I was like, watch me. All right. First he asked me, dad, can I get on your back while we do this? I said, son, no. I'm going to do this. So just watch. So I start swimming in the water. And I'm swimming as hard as I can. I'm like, man, this is a really long pool. And like right when I said, in, oh, think, well, I was thinking that, I literally hit the pool wall as hard as I could. And it, my natural reaction is to lift up my head. And the, the, the pool wall had kind of this texture to it, really pointy texture. And I was, as I was lifting up my head, a chunk of my nose just came right off my face. For all of you who are laughing, shame on you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> supposed to have compassion. Um, well, it hurt. Um, I didn't pass out. I got like I tried to play it off. I was like, oh, oh, okay. I, was, I did a little black swim. And then, then I realized I was bleeding profusely. Um, so I got out of the pool and I like find a towel. And I'm, and I'm, kind of, I'm not trying to let my family see me like this because I'm super dad, right, especially my kids. But then the lifeguard sees me, right? She's on her chair, and she jumps out of her chair. She says, lifeguard Catherine is here. I promise you. I'm not making this up. She jumps out. She goes, lifeguard Catherine is here. She gets to the first aid kit. She goes, I'm trained for this. And I'm like. For what? The first aid kit? What are you talking about here? And so right after that, she pulls out this little swab, and she starts to go to my nose, and I smell the alcohol coming from the swab. She was going to put an alcohol swab on my fresh, bleeding wound. I said, lady, stop. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? So literally, Jess got into mama mode, and she goes, lady, I got this. I have this. I have this. I have essential oils. I have this. <laughs> Boom. So essential oils. I have frankincense on my nose. I have, uh, you know, I have some, 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 some other stuff. And I, I'm, my, my shorts are bleeding. My, this towel is red now. I'm walking through the hall like it's a shame, just walking through the front desk, just like... They have to close the pool because, you know, because of me. That's what happened, okay? That's, that's it. I've already had like six people ask me the story. Well, that is the whole story. That's the truth and nothing but the truth. But, so if you're new, I'm Pastor Arthur. I'm that guy, okay? Uh, obviously, I, I'm, the, I'm the youth pastor, right? Because only youth pastors would do something this crazy. Um, but I'll never do that again, at least in God willing, I'll never go through that. But if you're new, I'm so thankful that you uh, are spending your Sunday morning here with us. Uh, we're expecting God to move in your life and in the life of those who claim this church is their church home. And I say that because as a church, we pray for you every single week. We meet here on Thursdays and on Mondays and we pray for you. We pray expecting that God is going to do great things in your life. And I know Jess and I, although we were away, um, we were praying for you. We were praying for this message. We were praying that God would work in your heart. So if you're new this morning and you haven't stopped by guest services, in the back, just stop by with us at the Guest Connect table. We'd love to connect with you because we believe at this church that we are better together. And I believe that is a biblical thing that we do life together. So please stop by. But just a recap on the series. So if you haven't been here, I'm just going to recap the series. Um, so we've been, in the last few weeks, we've been in this series called the, the Book of Psalms. 
And the book, uh, or the book of Psalms has 150 psalms. We're not going to cover them all in this series. But the first week, of uh, Pastor Jim, our acting pastor, he covered Psalm 1, and he did it so well. Really, Pastor Jim set the tone for the series, and he simply said this, there's no third way. Okay, there is no third way. And what that means is that God has given us clear instructions that those who are planted by streams of li- living water will bear fruit. And those who do not are like chaff that the wind drives away and ultimately withers away. So what that means, no third way, is that we must cling to the counsel of God and the counsel of God alone. Okay? So he set the tone for that. That's really the underlining tone for everything that we're going to do in the next few weeks in this psalm series. And then week two, Pastor John Malloy. Amen. Right, John? Can you give me an amen? Amen, he's back there. I love it when he says that. He read out of Psalms 28, and he simply defined for us, and I, and I actually have never heard it this way, so I was so thankful he did this. He, he did a great job, that the victory is not ultimately ours, but rather the victory ultimately belongs to God. And I just love that, that the victory ultimately belongs to God. Now along the way, God gives us victory in the process in numerous ways, such as wisdom, people. Uh, maybe sometimes he even uses our story uh, to give someone else victory. But we experience these little victories. But the ultimate victory, I love that Pastor John said this, belongs to God. And so I'm so thankful for that message. In week three, uh, last week, I was actually in Martha's Vineyard watching Pastor William on Facebook Live. And he looked as good as ever, right, Pastor William? He always dresses up so nice. Um, That's why the Spanish ministry is thriving, um, mainly to do with the Holy Spirit, but also to do with his awesome outfit. So... um, (laughs) He's always rocking it. Um, But Pastor William uh, talked about Psalms 55, and the message was entitled Overcoming Fear. And I I loved your message. It was so good. I was in Martha's Vineyard. We were sitting uh, at a restaurant. It was like the perfect setting, watching Facebook Live, right? It was just just awesome. I think some people were annoyed that I was listening to, to... church um, or sermon while I was eating. But anyway, I was listening to it because I, I just love this church home and I can't get away from it. But he just said overcoming fear, that we cannot overcome fear without God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can't, no matter what trial we go through, we need to cling to God. And we can be courageous in the Lord. There's something that he said that stuck with me. It was towards the end of his message. He says, when you don't have God, you don't have peace. But when you know God, you know peace. I love that. I love that so much. That stuck with me during the week. And so this morning we're going to read out of Psalm 63. And I believe that this psalm really depicts King David. We've been talking a lot about King David because King David wrote a lot of the psalms, right? But uh, this psalm particularly uh, depicts King David's deepest words of devotion and his intense expression of the love of God. And we have much to learn from this psalm. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're a believer or a disciple of Jesus, there's probably been a time or two in your life where you wondered, how can King David have such a thirst for God and his word in the middle of a desert land, right? While he was a fugitive or in the valley, literally and figuratively. You see, we all want that hunger. I know I want that hunger in the middle of my mess. Thirsting for God when all is well is one thing. But thirsting for God in the thick of it is a whole other thing. Amen? So we're going to unpack these three important truths out of the psalm. We're going to exegetically look through this scripture, which is line by line. And I believe that these truths will allow us to live a life of thirsting after God in every season so that we will always have a reason to worship God. And it's going to come in these three ways. We're going to look at the present, 
in the past and the future. David sets this out. These, this isn't uh, my structure. David does this here in Psalm 63. The present, we're going to look at seeking God's presence now. Seeking God's presence in the present. Psalm 63, uh, 1 through 5. And then we're going to look at the past. Remembering his faithfulness and power. That's Psalm 63, 6 through 8. And then we're going to look toward the future, anticipating God's judgment. Psalm 63, 9 through 11. So we're just going to break it down line by line. So buckle up because we're going to have an awesome Bible study this morning. So join with me right now, turn to Psalm 63, or click with me at Psalm 63 on your Version Bible app, or whatever Bible app you use. If you do use Version, go under more and events, you'll see all the notes. Um, there's actually even more notes on what's on your bulletin, and we have some challenging uh, thoughts and uh, some things for you to maybe in small group or whatnot or during your devotion time. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll go ahead and start this morning. Father God, we can do nothing without you. God, we need you desperately, God. God, I'm going to echo the words of of Psalm 63. God, you are our God. Our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and desert land where there is no water, God. We have looked upon you in this sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Father God, use this time to bring you honor and glory and so that we can know you more. Allow us to learn something new about who you are, God. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So really quick, let's just stand up to our feet. We're going to read Psalm 63 together. We're going to read it together as a a body. So we're going to go ahead and start with the verse 1, Psalm 63, verse 1. Here we go. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. That's the word of the Lord. Y'all can sit down this morning. We're reading out of the English Standard Version if you want to follow along with us in uh, in the Bible app. Um, We have to understand the backdrop of this this, uh, psalm to really grasp King David's situation. Much like us on Sunday morning, we walk in here to church with a smile, but we know there's so much more that lies underneath our smiles and cleaned up personas. Amen. The thing about David is, is he was the kind of guy that wore his heart on his sleeve. When he talks about worshiping God, you can almost envision in your head this kind of heart abandon, face to the floor, or hands to the sky in worship. These are not my words. These are David's when he talks about worship. You see, I believe, truly, that there are beautiful worshipers and there are ugly worshipers. Let me define this before I lose you, okay? I have a picture. Can you put up a picture? There's people who just look, when they worship, they just look so beautiful, right? Just 
They have this up. This is this. But then you also have people that look like this when they worship. You ever have that? Like this is the kind. Have you ever had a worshiper next to you? I'm that guy where you just you just lose it, right? You're, you're like you don't look your best. You're not going to find your future wife worshiping like this. Like you're crying. You have snot rolling down your face. Or maybe, or this is kind of how I envision King David. Or maybe when you hear your song, right? Maybe when you're like today, when I heard you have no rival, I'd look like that. Like I was. I was worshiping. I was all, I was an ugly, I'm an ugly worshiper, and that's okay because my wife still loves me. She loves me. But when I think of King David, when I think of King David and, and how he worshiped, I really envision him as that kind of worshiper. Just he didn't care. He was undignified, right? He's that guy. He was undignified. And I think there's some part in us that wants to worship undignified, but there is something in us that hinders us from doing that. But I want a hunger for God. I want a hunger and thirst for God the way David did. And I always fall short of that. But I believe that he gives us uh, the blueprint of what it looks like to worship God through this psalm. Let me just give you a quick backdrop on it. The psalm was written while David was in the Judean wilderness. Either during his flight from Saul, you can follow that in 1 Samuel 23. Or more likely, uh, theologians say, from Absalom, his son, in 2 Samuel. You see, either way, the situation was bad. He was either running from a crazy king or his own son Absalom. His, own, his son Absalom was trying to overthrow David's reign because his brother slept with his half-sister. Sounds like something out of Jerry Springer, okay? It was bad. Bad. The situation was rotten. And I'm here to tell you that we all hate drama in our friendships, right? We all hate drama in our families. We hate the trial. We don't love the trials. We don't love the little things that, that happen in our life that just frustrates us. But I'm here to tell you it's inevitable that God will put a slap dead in the middle of those things. Did you know that? He'll put you slap dead in the middle of those things, in the middle of that drama, in the middle of a trial, in the middle of something that will just irritate you to test your faith and your love and your thirst for God. Did you know that? Sometimes we give a lot of credit to the devil. Too much, I think. Maybe God is testing your faith to see if you're hungry and thirsty for him this morning. You ever thought about that? Psalms 26.2 says this, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Psalms 193.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see, this word test here is actually translated prove by trial. So this word is, is translated prove by trial. So let's look at James 1.3-4 when he mentions this word again. For you know that the testing proved by trial of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Sometimes it's going to put you directly in the middle of a mess to test your faith and your love and your thirst for God. I'm here to tell you that everything God does, every process, every test, is beautiful and perfect. you got to know this. This has to be the underlining thing that you know about God, that everything he does is beautiful and it's perfect. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it will change the way you worship God, the way you look at God, the way you thirst for God, the way you hunger for God. Because everything God does is beautiful and it's perfect. Just look at this, James 1, 12 says, that he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, look how beautiful this is, 
he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God's ways are beautiful and perfect. Although you're looking at your test and you're going, man, why am I in this? Because God is trying to do something beautiful, and he's trying to perfect you and complete you in Christ Jesus. Did you know that this morning? King David knew that. That's why we need to seek God now. So the very first point we're going to look at is seeking God in the present. Seeking God's presence. I'm going to say it like this. Seeking God's presence in the present. We need to do that. David knew that. As we look at the first few lines of Psalm 63, we can see King David seeking God's present in the present. While David was in the wilderness, he could have turned away from God, right? He was either fleeing from a king or his crazy son, but rather, here's how King David responds. Let me see if this will be us today. He says, God, you are my God. In the middle of a mess, in the middle of the wilderness, on the run, as a fugitive, his response, seek God's presence now. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you, Lord, as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You see, David understood that no matter what season we are in, we need to seek God's presence in the present. We need to seek God's presence now. D David teaches us here that we must be eager to be with the Lord in every situation and to have that eagerness to be with God in our view even more than the time of the day. How many times do we look at our phone or our watches? How many times? A lot, right? He says we need to look and pursue God that much and more. So this week maybe as you're looking at your watch for the time or, 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 or your iPhone, I want you to think of that's the way we need to seek God's presence. Think about that. Constantly pursuing God, seeking God, thirsting for God. You see this psalm in the, in the very first two lines, you see David longing for God's presence like a wanderer in a desert longs for water. He's like, I need God. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, God. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In the middle of your current situation, church family, right now, I want you to answer this honestly. And you don't have to say it out loud, just you and the Lord, just you and God. Answer this question. Is your faith and thirst for God bigger than your circumstance? Or is your circumstance bigger than your faith and thirst for God? Is your faith and thirst for God bigger than your circumstance this morning? Or is your circumstance bigger than your faith and thirst for God? How we answer this question will change how we live. And it's also a great way to determine our current spiritual state. It will allow you to evaluate your distance from God or your closeness to God. Because there are some who are in here who are distant from God, who are not thirsting for God. But there are some that are in here that are thirsting and that are close and that are hungry and that are consumed. And they just radiate Christ. You can see it. No matter where you go, you can see it. 
We were actually in New York, and we stopped by a Presbyterian church, and there was a lady that was helping. You can see her radiate Christ. She's like, you want to see the sanctuary? You want to go here? She's playing with our kids. You could just see her hunger for God and the way she loves people. We were just so excited to be around her. We didn't want to leave her, right? We are like, this lady is awesome. She just loved God. You see, God wants us to be hungry for him, thirsty for him, desperate for him, and longing for him. Did you know that? He doesn't want you to, to just think of God every once in a while or come to him when you need something. He wants you to be hungry. You ever been hungry before or hangry before? Hungry for God, thirsty for God, desperate for God, longing for God. Yes, maybe even in the middle of your mess, I'm asking you, maybe even more so in the middle of your craziness, to hunger for God, to thirst for God. King David tells us this. That's why he says, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you even in the dry and desert land where there is no water. God, I need you. But it's beautiful because God says in James 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When we go through this, God's process is beautiful and perfect. He says, for those who stand the test of these trials and hunger and thirst for God, you will receive the crown of life. Jesus is everything, and he must be everything to us. Your current situation is not more important than your relationship with God. Did you know that? Your current situation is not more important than your relationship with God. Rather, your relationship with God will determine how you view your current situation. And so many times I, I meet with people, and, and all they can see is their situation. All they can see is their circumstance. And guess what happens? They get consumed by that thing. But you know who's supposed to consume us? God. And David tells us this. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it, it faints for you. So many times we are consumed by our situation. When I got back from our trip, you know what happened to us? Our AC went out. Got back, 2 in the morning, my house is 90 degrees. Maybe it was like 80, but I'm exaggerating. But it's Florida here, guys. It was hot. And I believe, just as William said last week, that God prepares us not only in our study but with our life to preach these kind of messages. Because on the way home, we got rear-ended. This happened to me the day before, and then I get home and my AC is out. God wants to say, hey, are you really thirsting for me now? Are you consumed by this? Or are you consumed by God, the very message you're going to preach, Arthur? Which one? And I said, boy, God, you are my God. <laughs> I, I'm going to seek you, God. And we had a conversation, and we just got before God, and we said, God, we got we to live this message. And we found out that it was a compressor. Perfect. The cheapest part in the whole AC unit. That is also a joke. It's not. <laughs> your current situation is not more important than your relationship with God. You see, David shows us that here, that he has a personal relationship and a covenantal relationship with God. He shows us that when he says, God, you are my God. See, we need to understand this. Much like an earthly marriage, right, your love for one another is bigger than your bills, right? It's bigger than the argument that you're trying to win. How many times have you said, bills, you are my bills? 
Arguments, you are my arguments. I want to win this one. Nothing good ever happens out of that, right? Because the focus is your spouse. And sometimes we get consumed by, uh, by our debt or by whatever it may be in our home, and we get consumed by those things that we forget who's right in front of us. Really what I should say is, Jessica, you are my Jessica. I will pursue you. I love you. That was a Romeo and Juliet moment. I don't have a rose to give you or anything, but that's the kind of love that we need to have. We need to look at our treasure. We don't need to look at all of these things that are consuming us that will fade away, right? We need to be consumed by God. We must love Jesus dearly and earnestly seek him. Because here's what will happen if we earnestly seek him, as David says. The more we seek him, the more we find him. Scripture tells us that. The more we find him, the more we want him, right? And the more we are consumed by the living God, the less everything else matters. Because he quenches our thirst. He quenches our thirst. Everything becomes not as important when you're consumed by God. When we seek him, we find him. The more we find him, the more we want him. The more we're consumed by him, everything else does not matter. I want us to get this this morning because no matter what season you're going to be in, you'll always have a reason, right, to worship God. But God must be worshipped and honored and savored. Both when King David says, when he says, when your soul thirsts for him, you have to faint for him in the times where we faint for him. And also in the times where we feast on him. As he says, well, my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. You see, he gives us two different kinds of worship in every season. You see, God is worshipped and honored and saviored both when we faint for him and when we feast on him. Fainting is the form of worship when God is distant. And feasting is the form of worship when he is near. The heart that saviors God above all things will experience yearning and longing and thirsting and painting, panting and fainting when the vision of God is distant and dim. Here's what that means. When, when King David used this, this kind of word picture that my flesh faints for you, it's almost like where your eyes are blurry, right, and you're searching for that living stream, you know. He says that sometimes God is going to seem distant because of your trial, right. Sometimes you're going to be like, where are you, God? But he says we need to thirst for God in such a way that, like, we're still looking for him. Our flesh is fainting for him. We'll have this longing for him, this Yearning for him. He says that needs to be our heart. And the same heart will experience feasting and satisfaction when the vision of God draws near and becomes so clear. That's why he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. You just consume God. No matter the season, we'll always have a reason to worship God. There's a lot of us in here who are waking up in the wilderness. I know that. There are so many people in this congregation that are going through so much. And it hurts my heart. But I'm here to tell you, thirst for God. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Hunger for him. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Desire him above everything. Desire God above everything. Because worship does involve expressions of thankfulness to God for his gifts. How many of us thank God for his gifts? But you know that this isn't the essence of true worship. Did you know that this morning? In fact, there is a gratitude for God and for his gifts that has no true worship in it at all. Here's what that means. There's a lot of people who love their health 
and their family and their job and their hobbies, and they thank God for them often. But they don't love God. There's a lot of people who thank God for every gift he's ever given, but they don't love God. They don't savior God. And when God is not saviored for the sweetness and the excellence of who he is, then he is not really worshipped. That's tough for us this morning. But David makes it plain by the way he expresses his longing for God. You don't see him going, I long for your gifts, O God. says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Not just your gifts. David was known for what? The man after God's own heart. (laughs) He was a man who loved God who sought after God, who thirsts after God. And even more explicit in verse 3, here's what he says. Because the steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. This means that David wanted God and into seeking God more than life itself. And you're like, Arthur, man, you're just, you're just too passionate. You're just, maybe you're just you're overthinking. I know I struggle with this. Me, I struggle with this all the time. But this is what's going to allow us to worship God truly and love him and seek him in every season. That's why we need to get this. That David wanted God even more than life. It says, he said, your steadfast love is better than life. That's why Paul echoes those words. He says, he says I count everything else as rubbish for the sake of of knowing Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. If you want God more than you want life, then you want God more than you want all the joys of this life. Everything. Family, health, food, friendship, sexual relations, job satisfaction, productivity, computers, iPods, cars, boats, sunsets, fall colors, everything. Because you're worshiping the giver. Not just the gift. And David says we must thirst for the giver. Not just his gifts. And that's how we seek the presence of God in the present. When David says that the love of God is better than life. And therefore better than all the beauty that life means. He's not denying that all these good things come from the love of God. He's not denying that. He is warning us rather that if our hearts, y'all got to get this. He is warning us rather that if our hearts settle, even gratefully, on the beauty of the gift and do not yearn for the infinitely greater beauty of the giver, then we are idolaters and not worshipers of God. I'm not here, preacher, preach, preacher, preach. That's a hard truth. He's warning us not to settle even gratefully on the beauty of the gift, guys. Do not yearn. We need to yearn for the infinitely greater beauty of the giver of life. And if we don't, then we become idolaters, worshiping the gifts and not worshiping and not thirsting and hungering for God himself, not seeking the very presence of God now, in the present. We must seek the presence of God now. The second thing we need to look at as he goes on through verses 6 through 8 is remembering the past. And this is so important to worship God in every season, to always have a reason. We must remember the faithfulness of God and his power. 
We must, that is a must to move forward in our faith. Here's what he says. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, he remembers, he remembers, he goes, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and he remembers again. Your right hand upholds me. When we say that God is faithful, he must have been faithful for something, right? That means that already happened. He's been faithful. He is faithful. We know he's faithful because he's been faithful. You see, I believe that David is trying to tell us here that sometimes to move forward in your faith, we must look back. That sometimes to move forward in your faith, we must look back and see his faithfulness and remember his power and meditate on God in the watches of the night because he has been our help. In every season, that will give us the reason to worship God. We must never forget where our help comes from because remembering his faithfulness and power in the shadows will result in singing for joy in the midst of our sorrows. We need to remember God's faithfulness. Can you sing for joy in the middle of your sorrow this morning? Can you do that? If you haven't, maybe you just need to remember the faithfulness of God. Our soul must cling to God and his faithfulness from our past to hold us up and carry us through in our present. And sometimes we forget to look back. I have, let me get our volunteers. Come on up here, volunteers. Come on up here, Karina. I'm going to have Christian. Y'all just give it up for our volunteers really quick. I'm going to use your Christian right here. Right here. Face this way. Turn this way. This is Christian. Say hello, Christian. Put your hand out, Christian. Just not, not this way. That's the wrong, that's the wrong sermon right there. Uh, here we go. I don't want you to get them. Okay. Right there. And then Karina, I'm going to have you back here. Far back. I'll say hi, Karina. And hi, Nick. All right. Here's what I mean. When I say our soul must cling to God and his faithfulness from our past to hold us up and carry us through our present, here's what I mean. I believe that sometimes this is us. This is us. We're constantly looking to our front. We're, trying to, we're constantly looking at what we're trying to obtain and where we're trying to go and how is God trying to use me. And, I don't, I just, and you get so caught up in trying to get what's right in front of you. You get so caught up in where you are in life that sometimes, sometimes, all you needed to do is look back and go, wow, God has brought me, far, brought me this far. And sometimes we just get so caught up, go put your hand out, this is us, and we're trying to obtain things. We're like, God, where are you? God, how come you're not here? God, are you faithful? All you needed to do is turn around and look at how far God has brought you from. You you were here. You were here. But now you're over here. God has brought you this far. How many times in the last couple months have uh, have you looked back in your life and said, man, God has been so faithful to us. And here's, when I think of our church, Avalon Church, I came here when we were meeting in the auditorium in the high school. And and sometimes I get so caught up in the right now and trying to obtain and trying to, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're doing. Pastor Jim, and we're meeting in the meeting. and, And sometimes we just forget to look back and go, wow, we're in a building now. Like, that is not a high school. And, and, and it's amazing to me that so many of us, there's, there's so many of us have grown in Jesus, have been saved at this church. We have so much to be grateful for, but we're so caught up in looking at what's in front of us that we forget how far we've come. Thank you, guys. Y'all give it a round of applause for them. 
Our soul must cling to God and his faithfulness from our past to hold us up and carry us through in our present. In every season, we need to remember to look at how far God brought us through. So for just a second, I want you all to close your eyes. Just close them. No one's looking. Just for a few, just, just a few seconds, I want you to remember God's faithfulness thus far in your life. I'm going to be quiet. Is it just you and God? Just remember his faithfulness. While you're doing that, eyes are closed. I just want you to repeat these words after me, King David's words. As your eyes are closed, I want you to repeat these words. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's look up. Do you remember? What do you remember about God's faithfulness? What do you remember about God's power? We must look back and say, man, God has been faithful. That's why King David says, I remember you upon my bed. I meditate on God and his faithfulness in the watches of the night. Oh, that's right. You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings now... God, because you've been my help, I'm in, I'm in the middle of a desert land. I can sing for joy. My soul clings to you. I remember now, your right hand upholds me. That's the only way. And then we look at the last point before we close. And we look towards the future. And I entitled this, Anticipating God's Judgment. And I believe that David covers this in Psalm 63, 9 through 11. You see, we have hope as Christians for the future. I know you know that. If you don't know God this morning, that there's a reality, that there's an absence of hope in your life. Jesus is our only hope for the future and for eternity with God, your maker. That's why in John 14, 6, Jesus was really clear when he said, I am the way. Hope. I am the truth. Hope. And I am the life. Hope. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have hope for today, Christians. We have hope for the future. You see, when you hear the word judgment, that's not usually something we anticipate, right? We're like, oh, judgment. Let's go and get them. But here is the truth of David and how he anticipated God's judgment. He knew where he was with God. He knew his life. And he knew his thirst, and he knew his hunger, and he knew his position with God. Are you comfortable enough, Christian, or do you know with confidence better where you are with God this morning? If you really know the God of the Bible, then you know he's a just God, a good God who judges righteously. And if you walk into a courtroom with a judge who cannot be bought, then you can know with full confidence that he will award the proper judgment. Amen? And there are some here this morning that are far from God and are living in the balance of that judgment. They're fearful to meet their maker because he is just and he will judge perfectly. 
I believe that with all of my heart. There are people who are in here that are living in the balance of judgment because they do know that God is good. But they keep feeding their flesh. And they keep living in their sin without repenting, without coming to God. But they know God is a good judge, so they're fearful that he's going to judge righteously. I thank God that he judges righteously and perfectly. If that's you this morning, you can come into the courtroom. Come as you are. No need to get cleaned up. God knows everything that you are doing this morning. He says, I'm here. Come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And when we come to Jesus and we are saved by his grace, then we can have full assurance of our hope for today and our hope for the future. Don't you want that church? Can I get an amen? We want hope for the, for the future. We don't want to live in the balance of, of fearing God's judgment because we know he's a righteous judge. But the scripture is perfectly clear, clear that it's appointed that a man should die. But right now, if you were to meet Jesus face to face, would you anticipate his judgment? Or would you fear God's judgment on your life? David responds this way about anticipating God's judgment. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exalt. Are you able to have that kind of confidence this morning? The kind of confidence that says, I will rejoice in God one day. Are you confident this morning? Because if you're not confident, then you need to come to God this morning. When we're done, you just maybe sit in your seat and say, I want to be confident in where I stand with you, God. You see, David anticipated it. He knew that now what he was sowing in tears, one day he will reap in joy. He knew that these trials and all of this was just temporary and preparing him for an eternal weight of glory. So he says, the king shall rejoice in God. You see, King David resolves to make God the alpha and the omega of all of his seasons. Are you willing to make God this morning the alpha and the omega of every season in your life? Are you willing to make God, let me say that again, the alpha and the omega of every trial, every joy, every season? If we stand the test, we will receive the crown of life. And we'll be able to respond as David when he says, the king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him. In Jesus' name, he shall exalt we must never forget the words of Jonathan Edwards when he says this. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here on earth. Is that how you're living your life this morning? Because we can't be halfway in and halfway out. we got to yearn for God. we got to long for God. we got to thirst for God so that when you reach that pit of season in your life, you won't turn away from him, but rather you will cling to him. And you will praise him. And then you'll realize that his steadfast love is truly better than life. Let's stand together this morning.
I'm going to echo the words of the great Martin Luther when he says this. I love this. He says, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of this world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. Who's your greatest treasure? Who is your greatest treasure? Do you worship the gifts that God gives? Or do you seek and yearn and worship the infinitely greater beauty of God? Let's pray. Oh God, we need you. We desperately, desperately need you, oh God. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that would be, as Ephesians 2 says, a church that is filled with the fullness of God. That we wouldn't be known for our talents or what we can do, but we would be known as people who thirst for God. People who cling to God, who believe that Jesus truly is better than life. And so, God, I'm going to echo your words God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you on the watches of the night, for you have been our help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds us, God. For those who look to destroy my life, you will give up Give them up to the power of the sword, and they will be a portion for jackals. But the king and the children of God this morning shall rejoice in God, because all who swear by God, he will exalt, and the mouths of liars shall be stopped. Father God, let us live this scripture. Let us never forget your power and your beauty and your glory. God, we exist to make you known. No matter where we're at this morning, if there's someone who doesn't know you, God, I pray that in this time while they're worshiping, while we're doing music, God, that they would come up to the altar, yes, the altar, and say, God, for the very first time, you are my God. And I pray that they would come and talk to me about what that looks like so I could pray with them, God. Because until you're our treasure, then we're being consumed by something else. There's a prayer room, God. I pray that they would take advantage of it. Just get before you today. For the Christian in the room who's been living one foot in, one foot out, God, would you just give them the strength to truly echo the words of David when he says, your steadfast love is better than everything that I have. My lips will praise you, God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will honor the Lord. We will worship the Lord. We will savor the Lord. We'll live and give everything to be consumed by the Most High God. Lord, we thank you for this morning. 
We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.